Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm back again, your host, Rashawn McDonald. I always tell people it's time to stop reading other people's success stories. I say that every time I start this show. It's time you start doing your job and writing your own story. And I always tell people to lead with their gifts and don't let their friends' age, especially age, stop you from uh, planning your dreams or living your dreams. My interviews always include uh, consumers, uh, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and what I call industry decision makers. My next guest He's an interesting decision maker. He's a celebrity because he's on TV every night. He's an entrepreneur. His name is Don Lemon. He's the host of CNN Tonight with Don Lemon, and he's America's only black primetime anchor. In 2020, Don was the leading voice on CNN, guiding viewers like me to the death of George Floyd on the summer of nationwide protests and riots. The viewers and myself, we depended on him nightly to guide us through the global pandemic. I recently got a vaccine. I'm going to tell you something. He guided me through the process of being mature enough to deal with that and go get the vaccine. And I got it yesterday. Now in an urgent, deeply personal and riveting plea, his new book shows us how deep our problems lie with racism and what we can do to begin to fix the problem. The book is entitled, This is the Fire, What I Say to My Friends About Racism. Don brings his vast audience and experience as a reporter and a black man to today's most urgent question. How can we end racism in America in our lifetime? Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Don Lemon. Rashawn, thank you so much. It's good to be with you again. And wow, what an introduction. Well, you know, some man, it, it was it was emotional, you know, because I read the book and the, the book was a journey. And I, I say that to everybody that uh, before I get into detail about the book, one of the things that uh, I love what you said, is somebody says they have the answer to racism, basically walk away from you because they lying. And you said right. in the book, because that's true. Talk to us about that. Well, I said I wanted to write this book because I thought I had some uh, things that I could speak to and that I could speak because I'm at the, uh, really at the matrix of, as you so keenly pointed out, of everything that happens in this country every single night or every weeknight at least, sometimes on weekends, sometimes seven nights a week. Uh, and I'm just sort of guiding people through the process. And so, um, so you're right on about that. I, it was... It was a, it's a, it was a tough thing to write this book knowing um, what I know and experiencing what I've experienced. And it was, um, as you said, very personal. Just before, just before I hung up with you a couple minutes, I mean, just before I got on with you a couple minutes ago, um, you know, my, I write the, the letter to my nephew in the beginning mm-hmm. of the book. Mm-hmm. My niece and her um, husband called, which is, Trishad, my great nephew, who I write the letter to, it's his mom and his stepdad, and they call me and they were so mo- emotional about the book and they didn't realize just how personal and how candid it would be. And they said they were actually crying reading the book. And he's like, and you know, his stepdad, Jeffrey, said, I'm not an emotional person, but Don, you made me cry. Mm-hmm. I believe this book is going to be a classic, and in a hundred years, people are going to be reading it. And I said, What? Yes. So there you go. <laughs> but you know, in that letter, it was it was a couple of things made me smile. When you say we share the same forehead, nose, and well articulated arm bones. Arm bones. What is that? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That, uh, <laughs> you know, 
you know, well articulated arm bones that everything is in the right place. Right, right. Um, um, there's a there's a photo of us at the beach from a couple of summers ago, mm-hmm. and um, very similar. He's uh, he has the younger body, right. uh, the younger version uh, of me. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at that. I said, look, we have the same arms and we have the same thing. It's just weird. <laughs> and so that I said, how would I put that in there instead of saying, you know, it's so simple to say we have the same arms. I said, why don't I say the same well-articulated arm? Bones. I loved it. It, it made me and- smile because a book like this, you <laughs> want to smile. You want to find those moments of happiness because it's the truth. And sometimes when you deal with racism and, I, and you know, white people, they always say, you have to say white people, can you just move on? You know, we know there's a problem. Can we move on? No, that's not me. They don't, they don't really realize the vast nature of how racism is so undercover. I, I, the beauty of electing a person, like you said with Donald Trump in 2016, to me, you said he led us to the fire. And it, yeah. what exactly is the fire? Well, he led us to the fire and, he, and, and then poured gasoline on it. Absolutely. Um, the fire is, in, in James Baldwin's uh, book, um, the fire next time, which was, this was a tribute to, right? That's why one of the reasons that I, um, fashioned the book in the way that I fashioned it is because James Baldwin is my literary hero. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was, as I read, I read the fire next time a couple of times a year. And as all of these events were unfolding, um, in the last few years and especially the last year in the summer of 2020, I wanted to write something. I was inspired to write something that was short, that was concise and that was powerful. And I wrote it in the fashion of, James Baldwin. That's why James Baldwin starts the fire next time with a letter to his nephew 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation on the anniversary of 100 years. Mm -hmm. And he starts by saying something like, we know that we're celebrating or we're writing this. You know, I've begun this letter uh, um, uh, a thousand times and I've torn it up. And then he says, we know that we're celebrating this anniversary 100 years too soon, even though it's the 100 year anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. And when he said, God gave no other rainbow sign, no more water, the fire next time, to me, that was an indication in a call after watching someone die on camera um, that we were in the fire and that we were at an inflection point in our society. Um, and either we could decide as a group of people to continue on to, uh, towards a more perfect union mm-hmm. uh, rather than a divisive union or regressing to a time where um, people of color and marginalized people did not have equal rights under the law, under the Constitution, or at least under the law, under the Constitution, they should have, but not weren't treated that way. And so I believe that we are, this is the fire that we're in right now. And if we don't fix this, mm-hmm. then it's going to get hotter and worse, and we will never fix it. We're at an inflection point where it needs to change. And then in the book, we're talking about it. I think it was a great segue because you say more perfect union. Because at the age of 33 yeah. in your book, you talk about Thomas Jefferson. And his writing, but before we go there, let's go back to 1619, as you talk in the book, when it really all started, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, men and women of dark complexion, a colored complexion, skin, were sold as slaves in 1619. And then you jump to Thomas Jefferson at the age of 32, and when they wanted to do right, but they were shouted down by men who didn't want to do right, because they said, who's going to pick the cotton? I'm not picking the cotton. So the cotton's uh, not going to pick itself. Right. <laughs> and then because it was it, like I said, it was a beautiful book. First of all, I want to compliment you on that because I read a lot of books. And and what captures me as a as a reader is emotion. And it also you're a very colorful writer. 
In other words, mm-hmm. I actually felt the moments. I felt uh, I, Thomas Jefferson's issues that he had in your writing. And then you jump to uh, Miss Ma Terry in uh, 1947. It gets personal with you because you start talking about your life. You know, you start talking about this is an area of the country that you live in. And she, as a black woman, was in a position to purchase land and the issues that she had to deal with. And then you jump even further to George Floyd in 2020. Why was it important to have these transitional time moments in your book to set the stage? Because I think it was important to show the the true history of the country and the contributions of of black people, of mm-hmm. people of color, of of um, people who were descendants of of slaves. I thought it was important to be able to point that out because I don't think that we can solve this unless we start at the beginning. And the beginning is a true history of this country. You mentioned 1619. There's a 1619 project. But there's also what we should realize is that long before the Mayflower was here, there were people who came over mm-hmm. who made the journey across the Atlantic and they were Africans and there were people who helped to build this country for free. So while we look upon the descendants or the people who came over on the Mayflower as some sort of, in some sort of vaunted or celebrated position, um, perhaps that we should teach the history of the people who came over before them as well and who actually built the country for free as slaves, slave labor. And um, so I use Maude Terry because Maude Terry, that should be taught in our history books to American history to kids mm-hmm. as we teach Christopher Columbus discovered America. Christopher Columbus did not discover mm-hmm. America. America was here long before Christopher Columbus was here. Mm-hmm. Just ask any Native American. And it's <laughs> insulting to people actually to learn that because it's not the truth. If you want to say Christopher Columbus conquered America or that... Um, that Europeans conquered America, mm-hmm. okay, that might be a fair statement. So that um, people like Maude Terry and her sister Amaza and um, the German Coast Uprising, which I write about, and a number of other things that in, in instances in the book that include African Americans or African, um, how African people contributed to this country, I think that's where we start with the truth from the beginning. And that's why I wove all of those instances in, into the book to try to bring it all from the past, from the beginning into the present. Now you say in the book, you do not pretend to have any answers. And then the, the book is, this is the fire. What I say to my friends about racism, what, what response are you giving to your friends? So the response that the biggest response is that we have to do the work. Yes. Is that there's a shared responsibility that we all have as Americans. Where we can't say, well, you know, my people didn't do this and my right. people didn't do that. And I didn't own slaves and I didn't. But um, there but there were people in this country um, who weren't able to vote, weren't able to get an education, who uh, were not able to live where they, where they wanted and weren't able to, which is the biggest part of it, is to earn generational wealth. Right. And but who helped to build the wealth for wealthy people. Mm-hmm. And which offers what an ease in society mm-hmm. and a comfort uh, and a level of privilege that that isn't afforded to most people uh, of color in this country. And so what I tell them is that, again, they must know their history starts from the beginning right. and teaching their children the, mm-hmm. the real history of this country. Mm-hmm. But I also tell people that the difference is going to be made with relationships, because when you see people as human, when you see people's humanity it's hard to discriminate against them. It's hard to dehumanize them. And it's even more difficult to put your knee on their neck for almost nine minutes on a street in front of the world to see. You know, so relationships. 
get to know people who don't look like you. That's really important. And it really, it was a uh, it was interesting things when I talk. I try to talk out of when I talk to my staff, or I talk to my family, or talk to my my daughter. I always talk about the reality of what Donald Trump was to this country. I always felt that, and I tell the people this: I said, if Hillary Clinton would have won in twenty sixteen, I think that we needed this gut check. Because I felt that Donald Trump pushed this country into a state of racist reality. And mm-hmm. it brought out a lot of people who are boldly letting it know how they feel about race. But boldly letting them know, letting you know what side of the aisle they're willing to stand on. Do you think that's good or bad? Because myself, I think I want to know what a person thinks yeah. instead of them hiding what they think. I want to know as well. I would rather someone tell me who they are. I would rather know who they are. And we do now. And that's why I say in the book that he was the president we deserved and probably the president we needed. Now, would, would it have been better if, it, if we could have learned the same lessons through a different person and with a different experience? Yes. But all things being what they were and what they are right now, we must look at the reality. And that yes. is that he exposed um, for us the, the symptoms of what was boiling or going on beneath the surface. And he's the one that sent us into the doctor's office to have it diagnosed and then fixed, whatever that is, whether it's a long uh, process of, of convalescing and trying to get better and, um, and recovery, or whether it's just to excise the problem and try to do it immediately and, and as fast as possible. But whatever it is, he, led, he exposed it and he led us here. And now we know. We don't have to live in um, some... Um, false yes. reality yes. that we thought that we were post-racial because we're not. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing about it, I, it, here's the interesting part about my life. And, you know, when you, you know, you develop a relationship with a person like you, you know, I value the time I spend with you now, but I even value the time I spend with you when I'm at my home and I turn you on. And there's, a, there's an honesty about you, Don. And please expound on that because it, it, it's, it's riveting to me. Last night when I saw you interview the uh, Capitol Police officer who had, uh, and you in 12 uh, Republican members of Congress didn't want to honor them because they didn't see the January 6th event as a, an insurrection, even though uh, five people died at that little, I guess, protest that got out of hand. I guess that's what they're calling it. I don't know. But uh, this man, you know, he used the word uh, racial slur. He didn't want to use the N-word. But he was mentally bruised and may take years of therapy to recover from that moment. But you was the interviewer. How did you, how were you taking all that and then maintaining emotion? Well, I have to, because um, I am the facilitator, right? And if I lose my composure, then you don't get anything out of the interview. But at the very beginning of the interview, uh, I started talking to him and then he said, I'm sorry, I stopped. I didn't expect to be this emotional. Right. And so I said to him, it's okay go ahead and talk to us. Why are you emotional? And then it gets, then he has to explain it. Um, it, it gives him a place to go rather than going down uh, spiral and spiraling into his emotion. Sometimes you just have to allow it and let people say what they want to say. But I think it was more productive um, that he explained his feelings and why he had become so emotional. And he said, because I hadn't really had a chance before this interview, the way I set it up, the interview, he said, it gave him a fuller perspective or more fulsome perspective right. about um, what had transpired and what people thought about it. And also, he had done uh, one earlier interview. And in that earlier interview, he had not spoken 
to his fellow officers. Right. And after speaking to his fellow officers, he got more of their experiences and that cut even deeper. Right. Because one of, one of his fellow officers said to him, um, the protesters were not only calling, you know, me the N word, but they said, Hey, N word, you have that rifle in your hand. You're so big and bad. Why don't you put that rifle down and we'll show you how big of an N word you are. Mm-hmm. And this is a police officer. Mm-hmm. who is who puts his life on the line every day and these people who are out there supposed to be supporters of the of police officers and you know so-called blue lives matter but they're beating them with blue lives matter flagpoles and signs so wow um that's that's why he was emotional because he had had time to absorb it he hadn't had time to absorb it before i think he was somewhat still uh in a state of shock we well, you know in in reading this book you know great picture on the back by the way i love that picture where where was it taken at thank you what was it taken at? That was taken in the backyard of my house in front of, uh, I have a shed in the backyard. <laughs> right. See, what is it? A shed in the backyard. And that's the door to the shed. Uh-huh. And I'm actually um, standing right next to, there's a, hydrangea bushes that I'm trying not to crush. Because I said, you know, as a book you write about a black man with white heritage, you embody both the struggle and the hope of reconciliation. You know, and I look at this very simple picture. And it's and it works for you, you know. You know, I don't see the tie, I don't see the look, I see on TV, and you have an amazing smile. That's why it's always with me and you when I interview you. I really want to see the smile, but I I have to balance that because you're <laughs> such a you know your your business is serious. You're a guy, you're, you're a guy who has to who present the whole process of being serious and also informative. Talk to us before yeah. we exit on this brilliant book. This is the fire. What I say to my friends about racism by Don Lemon. Give us a wrap up, my friend, so we can sell some more books. Tell me what you want to know. What do you want to know from me? Where do we go? You know, without revealing the process of your book, but where do we go? How do we, what what do I have to do? I, you know, I feel I'm doing a good job. We go with honesty. Mm -hmm. We go with a sense of openness. We go with a vulnerability, the same vulnerability uh, and the same mindset that we had uh, during the summer of 2020 when we were locked in our homes. Right. uh, When, um, when our hearts and our minds were open and then we saw someone uh, die in front of our eyes. Mm-hmm. We go with that vulnerability and we have to, to, um, to a large degree, trust that our countrymen will do the right thing, but trust yet verify. But I would, I would say, uh, but here's what I think again, and I hate to keep harping on this and I know people think it's, you know, it may sound trite. We have to establish relationships, especially with people who do not look like us, the people who do not live uh, particularly maybe in our same neighborhood or travel in our same circles. That is the only way it's going to happen. We have to begin to respect and learn and love each other and see each other's humanity. And that, and, and, and then beyond that, we have to begin to do the work. That's it. We got to do the work. And, and doing the work requires an open mind and an open heart. Well, you've done the work. You've written a brilliant book, an informative book, an emotional book. This is the fire. What I say to my friends about racism. What you say to me every night makes me feel good and informs me and gives me hope, Don Lemon. Don't you stop. And you are the primetime black man for America. And from, from now to like <laughs> that, okay? <laughs> Rashawn, thank you so much. for this. I really appreciate all your support. Uh, and thank you for your kind words. And I'll be talking to you tonight on my show. And hopefully I'll be back here on your show as well. Okay, big timer. Stay safe and uh, we'll win big. Okay. You too. I love this. Thank program. you, sir. Thank you. We will be right back with more money making conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. 
Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversation. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men who are making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. From civic leaders, businessmen, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads, the Cafe Mocha Swag Award winner this week is Mark Moriel. He is the president and CEO of the National Urban League. He fights on the behalf of the National Urban League to create a community with a voice so loud that nothing can stand in the way of change. Mark Moriel is ready to teach others what he has learned along the way by showing others what it means to be a leader who can unite voices and create meaningful change for everyone. Because I say to young people, you're never too young to take on a challenge, never too young to serve, never too young to excel. And don't let anybody diminish you. But you've got to know you're ready. You've got to have the confidence in your ability. And you've got to be mature enough to make the difficult and challenging decisions. And, you know, I feel so, so uh, special that I want to give back the lessons I've learned. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Terrence Terrell. Let me just let y'all know a little bit about him, because I've been following him. He's Motar, y'all. Half man, half motorcycle. And those progressive motorcycles. Now, I know all y'all been going, who's that black dude? Who's that black dude on that uh, on that treadmill? On that treadmill, burning rubble. That's my man right here, Terrence Terrell. We're going to put the word out about him. He's an Emmy Award winning actor, author, musician, and philanthropist. He's appeared on Bosch for Amazon. Loved him on that. Room 104 for HBO. Batwoman for the CW. And the First Wives Club for BET+. Also, Issa Rae's Giants, for which he won a daytime Emmy for Outstanding Supported Actor in a Digital Drama Series. Terrence can be seen in series on the series on New Truck Laurie. I'm telling you something. Truck Laurie. If Truck Laurie calls you, then you start, you get on your knees, you say, thank God. Because this man's history on television is legendary for sustaining sitcoms on the air. But let's go a little bit about this brother here. He's uh he's originally from Cleveland, Mississippi. So you have to use the word humble beginnings with him. He's an HBCU alum, Mississippi Valley State. That's Jerry Rice country. Willie Todd, you know what I'm talking about. And currently resides in Los Angeles, California. You know, the, the, the beauty of him, man, he has a book out that we're going to talk about. It's a self-published children's book series that includes the titles of Blackie. These are previous books that, uh, that he's written. But my little black book, the book promotes black beauty inclusion, and self-love, which is some of the forces that drive this young man as he builds his empire through his talent, hard work, passion, and his commitment to making other people better. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation. He had to change his background once he realized who was interviewing him. He thought he was in the basement. Please welcome Terrence Terrell. What's up, Terrence? <laughs> What's up, buddy? Hey, hey, Terrence, Terrence, Terrence. Terrence. Well, we got to be real with you. It's too nice to just be showing up. No, I was like, let me, let me show it out. Let me get ready for you. No, no, no. I had to switch it up on you. Hey, hey, hold up, bro. Hey, man. Okay. Who are you again? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's your background. That ain't no, like, uh, like no, no, no thing they just put on, like, a little flip picture. Nah, that's me, brother. I was that. like, let me, no, oh. you ain't about to get me. Let me go ahead and flip, do something. Well, well you upgraded. Nice <laughs> background. Well, first of all, you're a handsome guy, so any background you'll be in front of, Gonna work for you, so let's go get that. Let's go get that out the way. But you come from Cleveland, Mississippi. Now I've been all over. I have been in that city because, I, like I said, I know about Cleveland, uh, uh, Mississippi, uh, Alabama, 
because I was a stand-up comedian. So I was going up wow. and down all the little towns, man, just trying to make my career work. And it, and when you're trying to make your career work, sometimes you have to do and play places that want on that schedule for stardom. And so coming from Cleveland, now residing in Los Angeles, tell us about your journey because we have to stop in, at the HBCU country that I mentioned in your yeah. intro, Mississippi Valley State, because right now HBCU brand recognition is on fire. You have to be proud. Yes. Um, so I was raised in, well, grew up in Mississippi, but my mom moved us from Cleveland at five and I went to San Diego. And then mm -hmm. I came back to Cleveland, Mississippi when I was 15 mm -hmm. um, because my grandmother, you know, you go back to the South because somebody's sick or you got to help mm -hmm. family member mm -hmm. out. So my grandmother had open heart surgery. Mm -hmm. So I went back to help her out um, and I ended up going to college at Mississippi Valley State, then undergrad. That was undergrad. Then grad school, I went to Jackson State. But I was a drum major at Mississippi Valley State. So I was in front of the band. Oh, come on now. You was that guy that did the split? Come on now. Oh, my. Hey, man. Let's, let's, let's talk about that, man, because you know, that's no joke, man. You're the drum major for a black marching band at an HBCU. Hey, brother. Thank you. Finally, somebody understand. When you say drum major, they be like, oh, the person that plays drum. Oh, no. no. The oh, drum no. major is literally like the Michael Jackson of the band. Come on, You got to you gotta be in Come front. On, you got to know the steps. You got to know the cues. You got to know the sections. You got to be in control. So, yes. So, you know the, the gangster of what a drum major is. I'm going um, I became a drum Woo! major freshman year. And that usually never happens. You got to be in the gym, not the gym, but you got to be in a band for at least two years to do that. Absolutely. But I tried out and I made it. And so I was a freshman drum major. And so, you know, of course, I had to be very strong because right. you had people in a band like, what, seven years? They ain't graduated and they still wanted to be in a band. So, yeah, it was it was a very cool experience. But I learned so much music, so so many amazing things that you can learn. You learn how to survive at HBCU. You, of course, get your education, but you learn how to make a way out of no way. Right. And that's really important you said that. Because I don't want to, because we talk about HBCUs, and I want to go back to that marching band experience because that's the cornerstone of what HBCUs are known for. And, yes. you know, we know about sports, but the, the bands or that halftime show. And then, yo, then you casually throw out two HBCUs. Well, you know, I did undergrad at uh, Mississippi Valley State. And then I did grad at Jackson State where Deion Sanders got a 2-0 Tan it up on the front page of ESPN. They undefeated everything. Man, you have to be and Mississippi Valley State, home of Hall of Famer Jerry Rice. Man, yes. you have to be, brother. You got to have some HBCU photos around your house. It's 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 a great time for HBCU. Yeah, I have my um degrees, but the funny thing is, Coach Totten, he was at my he used to coach at my high school. Okay, at uh, Eastside High. In, in Cleveland. And then when I went into, I think he left and went to Valley State. So right. I marched into Titan Ross Rice Stadium on a weekly basis. <laughs> so just the, just the love and the energy that I got from there. And then, of course, it was so funny because, you know, a lot of people was like, you shouldn't go to two HBCUs. You should go to undergrad at one and then maybe you should go to Ole Miss or something. Mm -hmm. But I was like, no, I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with my HBCU, <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna go through it. Jackson State um, because you know they say 
you won't look upon as a serious college student if you went to two HBCUs. So thank God I didn't listen to quote unquote day, whoever they are. You know, it's always a day. They said this, they said that. But thank God I didn't listen to them because I learned a lot at uh, Jackson State as well. And I graduated from grad school at the age of 21. Mm-hmm. And I came out here and get, got right into the whole background, stand in and everything. So, yeah, it was a, it's, it's been a journey. I'm just blessed. So, now, yeah. you're not a small guy. You're, you're over six feet, right? I'm six feet, five and a half. Okay. 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 That's the other thing. See, you are, see, you're on another level. You know a lot. Because you know a drum major has to be at least six feet tall. Yes. And I can't understand that. Um, Florida A&M, when I first saw them, those dudes, each one of them was like six, nine. Right, it was right, crazy because right, right. people have to see you. Doing right. your thing, right? right? Absolutely. So I'm like, okay, cool. But they had after I left, they got a drum major. He was like five two or something. Right. But, <laughs> and then, but you have to be tall. Right. So people, but then you also have to be able to be tall and move and, and, fluid. and, and, and bring fluid. some of that swag. So yeah, because, I did. And the reason I'm saying that because see, you know, because college prepares you for so many things. And I'm just going to read something saying that as a freshman, you was a drum major at, at an HBCU, Mississippi yeah. Valley State. Okay, right there, you know, the, the amount of confidence is, is is overwhelming in a sense because you were blessed to be able to believe in yourself. Because now you're taking that same courage, that same, I've been, out, I've been there before, I've been in front, I've been tested to LA, wow. and you're achieving a lot of success. I, I, like I said, man, and I love what you said when people told you, hey, man, don't do back-to-back HBCUs. People will drop in and try to, that's why I always say up the front, don't let nobody get in your dreams or plan your future, not your family, friends, coworkers, nobody. That's why I always said it up top. And you you speak the truth right now. I'm telling you, because if you let anybody put the price on you, everybody love a clearance sale. They always going to cheat you. Right. So never let anybody tell you what you can't do. And if you if they tell you no, you're just speaking to the wrong person. Right. So go around that person and figure it out. But like you said, HBCUs taught me a lot. It taught me drive. It taught me focus. And it taught me never to take no for an answer. Um, and always there's always a will. Where there's a will, there's a way. And hard work always pays off. So even when I got here, I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm going to get discovered at a gas station. Right. I was like, okay, where do I need? I know there's work to do. Where do I need to do? Where do I need to go to get that work to make sure I'm where I'm supposed to be? Right. And I went, got to acting classes and everything else, and the rest is history. Okay, cool. And the, the, the cool part about when we were talking here about your career, about going through this whole process of defining you. And that's what I love about you know, when, when, when I try to bring people on the show, like my 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 show airs on uh, YouTube, airs on iHeart, but it also airs on nine HBCU campuses intentionally, yeah. intentionally. And uh, yeah. and so when we talk about you, man, and representing and your philanthropy, because we're going to go, we're going to get to my, my little black book. Of course, we're going to talk about Be Positive. But I really wanted to talk about you because you're an inspiration, brother. You know, inspiration oh. and, and a very well-timed inspiration. And oh. and I want to go to the, the, the famous commercial because you 6'5". <laughs> now, as Motar, you don't look 6'5". You look about 5'2". Because you ain't got no legs. Uh, you ain't got no legs. Yeah, look, like it's right here, too. Uh, somebody repeat <laughs> that for me. I see, it, I see it. I see it. I see it. So, yeah, the motor of it all. And it's so funny. I love the way that you say confidence because I felt like I didn't have a lot of confidence mm-hmm. growing up. And that's why I wrote these books. Of, um, 
like Blackie came from me not liking my skin color. Right. And mm-hmm. so I say all that to say, when I went out for the motor, I was like, I'm not doing this. This is crazy. They're not going to pick me. Why right. me? Mm-hmm. And my best friend, Jamel, um, he was like, T, you got to go. It was raining in L.A. and something like they'll be driving like gremlins right. in the rain. I'm right. not going to be driving like 40 minutes outside. So I was like, OK, let me just do it. And I went there and I did it and I got the call back. And um, the director was so amazing. The first thing he did, he stood up and that was unusual. He stood up and came to me before I auditioned and gave me a handshake, looked me in my eyes and told me like there was only a couple of people I can see. And you was one that I knew I needed to see because of your confidence. And I'm like, Oh, cool. but you, there's a reason for everything. So if yeah. I didn't go through all the yes. craziness and, you know, the, the losses and getting all those L's and then having to grow, mm-hmm. I would have not been the person I was. And, you know, the man who I am now to actually even get into the motor of it all, because mm-hmm. they said I, he exudes confidence. And to me, I was like, oh, I'm just being myself. Right. And, right. Um, yeah, because you have to be confident. You have man, have motorcycle. Right. And so in the commercials, <laughs> you're really looking like, Who's looking at who? Are you in his world or is he, right. is he in, the, in our world? Right. So it's, it's all that. But we got some amazing ones coming up on the 15th. Okay. And you guys want to see a way more of his personality. So I'm okay, really cool. Well, well, let me to, know because I want to drop that on my social and my news, my, and my weekly newsletter too. You know, because I will honor you, especially with the fact that, uh-huh. you know, I, I knew in your, in your bio it only mentions Mississippi Valley State. So I got to really honor you. you you're, you're two times. HBCU, you know, so that's the love I got to give you on that. But that's all I was just saying earlier is that is that because HBCU and you being a drum major prepared you and a lot of people trivialize things when it becomes part of your personality, part of your success story. And that's all that guy was saying when he walked up to you. He said, you're confident. And it has been so built into you going out there, going out, knowing what you had to do. Yes. Since you was since you was a freshman, knowing what you had to give, now I was like, okay. Did you just do a march? How dare you? I'll tell you something. I'll tell you. Uh, you don't mess with me. What you ain't going to do, Mr. Mr. Terrence, Terrence, what you ain't going to do is mess with me, brother. What you ain't going to do is mess with me. Because, okay. because the, be- the beauty of you, man, is that is, is when, I, when I look at your career, you know, we're going to the Barshaw Amazon, you know, uh, Batwoman, you know, the First Wives Club you know, comedy, you know, and then you're playing a character that's not real. You you seeing through it, but you make it real. Because I remember when I told my wife, I said, baby, I was like a little kid, I'm going to interview Motop. She said, who? I said, the black dude who's half man, half motor. See, that fool. (laughs) (laughs) People get it then. And it's been such a blessing because the funny thing is the grown men, I see grown men now, they go crazy about it. So (laughs) even um, a lot of people think I'm LeBron James when I have my mask on. And the guy follows. And I always get like a random person following me through the grocery store. The guy followed me. I was like, oh, here we go again. And he said, King James. And I took my mask off. I said, no. Well, right. actually, I did take it off. I said, no. He just stood there like, let me see. Right. So I took my mask off, and he screamed, you're the motor! <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. So he wouldn't leave. I took a picture with him. But oh. it's like you get the big motorcycle guys right. with the tattoos right. and the beers. So, right. Oh, my God, you're the motor. You're the motor. Right. So it's it's so cool. It's right. so it's just a blessing to be. Right. You know, like I, didn't, I would never thought, you know, you come out here, you just think you want to do one thing. I just right. want to be. I want a show. Right. Or just one show. Give me one show. And that year, I was like, just give me one commercial. Right. And right. I ended up doing five right. in two days. 
And then now it's up to almost 28 commercials with that amazing company, Progressive. Congratulations. It's it's just all been amazing ride. And I think I know the reason I'm blessed because I continue to give even Mm -hmm. when I may not even have. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I know how special it is to be in this space. So I never take anything for granted. Every time I pull on that WB lot, I used to watch that when I was a child. So pulling onto those gates every day of the week, it's like I really... Just, I just know I'm blessed. And so, I know, I, you know, I've yeah, been there, man. Doing blessed. Jamie Foxx, you know, pulling up on there, man, and because very few people are allowed in that gate, brother. You, you know yeah. that. You know, you walk in that gate. There's very few of us, you know, in those gates. And so yeah. I've been on Paramount lot, WB lot, you know, yeah. all the Sony lot, you know, all those lots, man. Yeah. When they say your name, and then you you come on there so much, oh, go on by, Terrence. You know, that's when you yeah. go. Yeah, man, this feel this is this the feeling I want to keep. This the feeling that I want to have because that's that, that's a very small club, Terrence. You know that. It's a very Talk small club, and it's a even with the show. These this is a real life, and it feels so good because every character that I've been blessed to play, it's a mirror to real people. And my grandmother was going to dialysis, dressed like Diana Ross, and she would always say she's making dialysis entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how that? What's what? And so <laughs> now I'm literally making dialysis, educating people every week, but making it entertaining as well. So it's all, it's, it's, but at the same time, I know it's a responsibility. So even walking, I might be going too deep, but even walking on there, I'm like, wow, like the Sydney Portiers and all these amazing yeah. people paved the way for me to be yeah. here. So I take every day very, very serious. And I'm I know that I'm yeah. in the space to allow more space for us. Absolutely. And you have to, because, you know, and uh, you know, the reason I, I really enjoy talking to you, you know, first of all, I want to congratulate you on the daytime Emmy. Outstanding right. supported actor in the digital drama right series. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you something. And I tell people all the time, I in, I introduce a lot of people. They, they'll say nominated five times, nominated for an image award. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So I know, dude, when you win one, you best put that in your bio because it's rare. Isn't that amazing? It's rare. And when they introduce me now, they got to be like, Emmy Award. Because usually, you know, I'm still very humble. So I'm like, they're like, you want an Emmy? I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. But when I get introduced, Emmy Award winning actor, Ter- it's like, oh, okay, dude, I did do dude, that. Dude, so it's, it's I'm, I'm you I, get, I, I interview a lot of people nominated <laughs> for a Grammy, nam- nominated for an Emmy. Dude, I said, I, I'm telling you, you had the longest bio I've ever read. But I said, so I, I got to tell everybody his story. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to leave anything out. I'm not going to shortchange you because I knew. You, I knew a sense of I don't know you personally, but your journey needs to be told. And I, when I when I see these things like you know daytime Emmy for, in a drama series, I said, hold on, I want to let y'all know, don't 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 slouch that. I, I introduced too many people in this show that say nominated in, as a credit. Okay, right. he's one. Right. Okay, and so because I did that too, I remember I remember I, I actually lost one of my image awards. You know, I lost it. You know what I'm saying? Because right. I didn't understand. Uh, my head was down, just grinding, grinding, grinding. So, so I tell people I won two Emmys, I won three Image Awards, but I all lost one because I don't know where it's at. You know, right. and, and now I'm mad because when I won that, because that was the first one I won, and I didn't feel the see the value in it until yeah. now. So yeah. when you said mine's right there, hey brother, you damn right it's right there because you won right it, brother. There. You it's won right, it right there. It keeps me humble though. It's yeah. because even after I won it. My manager, Kaylin, she was she drove me home because I was tired. I was on eight planes that week. Right. I just wrapped up a show I was doing at 4 a.m. in Atlanta. I got on a plane at 6. 
got here at 12, got dressed, got on this on red carpet, won an Emmy and came <laughs> right back home and went to sleep and got back on a plane and left the next day. Right. So it was it was a whirlwind. And I remember being in a car with her. We're driving and she's like, and I'm the, the Emmy's huge, just like this big. It's huge. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it came in a huge box. And she's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, you got to work even harder now. And I'm like, can I just get a couple of seconds to no. just breathe? And she's like, no, you're going to have to work even harder because yes. people are going to think that you think you don't have to audition or do anything else. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, no, never that. But that right. comes from the HBCU mindset. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's mm-hmm. like. Bit, okay, cool. Thank you so much. We got that, but we there's so much more to go. Right. I'm talking to the, the, the star, Terrence Terrell, you know, double HBCU, you know, star of the series, Be Positive on CBS, uh, produced by the incredible Chuck Laurie. Um, uh, just, just, just Google his name. You go, this brother's blessed. Terrence Terrell is blessed. And he's also the infamous black people. Listen up. Motar. He's Motar. <laughs> But let's talk about your character, Be Positive, man. You know, you're an athlete, you know, that really kind of like been humbled by this, by being on dialysis. Talk about it because you really, you know, when these characters, you know, whether they have a lot of lines or not, a lot or not, you still have to be able to, you know, give a range and give a thought process to where that character is. You already got the natural build, so you look like an athlete. In fact, you actually carried the lead out of one episode. <laughs> I, I said, how, how, how small is this guy? 80 pounds? It was so funny because they said you got to pick him up. So literally, I wasn't trying to like, I didn't know until I watched it, I threw him up in the air. He's like a game. <laughs> but when I saw it, I'm like, oh, he came off. I threw him in yes, the air. Yes. Um, but it's so funny because in high school, and, you know, you go through these different things. And I was skinny, and my head always been this size since I was five. Right, so right, right, right. I always looked like a uh, bobblehead-looking thing. <laughs> so I started gaining weight and getting bigger. I got hit one time playing football in high school, and I quit. I never played. So now it's so ironic. I get a football role, <laughs> <laughs> and then I get to, you know, shine a light on my grandmother's actual journey through dialysis. And like you said, it's it's a lot of work. And multicam. I've done single cam. I've done drama. Those are literally a walk in a park compared to multi-cam. Right. Multi-cam, I'm on set. We're practicing Monday through Wednesday. And right. then we shoot Wednesday night. We shoot Thursday and Friday. So you're working and you're acting from your toes all the way up to your head. So right. you're exhausted at night. Yes. So yes. it's a whole different type of sport. It, yeah, it's a sport. Multi-cam is like going to the Olympics. Right. It's like you have to, especially if there's a live audience. So you have to make the joke. Hold the joke because you got to think about when people laugh, you right. got to come back into the next line with the same energy that you left off without dropping. Right. It's, it's a lot. Right. You know, because I've done multicast, uh, you know, Roden produced, Jamie Foxx, uh, Sister Sister. So I know right. it's a lot of work. And, and even if you're not in that moment in the, on camera, you got to stay there because the camera's on you on that yes. wide shot. <laughs> <laughs> Four of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I was on set last week, and right. I, we did three weeks straight. Usually two weeks on, two right. weeks, one week off. We did three weeks straight, and I was doing my scene with Anna Lee, and they said, okay, hold, Terrence, move for the light. I said, oh, her light? She's like, no, T, there's two cameras over there. And I was like, oh, yeah, multi-cam. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's talk about your book, man. I don't want to leave this interview without talking about oh, you know, yeah. you know, so my little the black books, book. Like I said, you know, we go through these things and we um, we forget how we got where yes. we are. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like you never can forget where you, you have to see where you 
where mm-hmm. to know where you're going. Mm-hmm. So when I first started these books, mm-hmm. I was very, you know, in the South, we don't go to therapy. We go right. to church. Yeah, absolutely. So I ended mm-hmm. up going to therapy, getting some mm-hmm. stuff out. And I mm-hmm. realized that I had a lot of uh, mm-hmm. insecurities from childhood. So I then like my skin color. I told you about that story. Mm-hmm. So then I wrote a book about a little dark boy mm-hmm. who learns his uh, what melanin is. Mm-hmm. It's called Blackie, mm-hmm. uh, which I've been called, but mm-hmm. I turned into uh, acronym means be loving, adoring, caring, and kind of yourself. Mm-hmm. About loving yourself. So for little black boys, showing them that they're kings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wrote the second one after my mother passed. So she's mm-hmm. superheroes every day. It educates wow. us on DNA. Then the fourth, third book, right? Here we go. Then I, <laughs> uh, the Crown Kids were bringing all the kids together. Right. And then this last book happened after the George Floyd. Um, I was, I'm a mentor for Miss Tina uh, Knowles Lawson and Mr. Richard, Tina's Angels and Richard's Law uh, Warriors. Yeah. And we, had the week of George Floyd, the mm-hmm. kids, we mm-hmm. had them, we meet with them every Monday mm-hmm. and they were crying. Like, hey, just imagine 80 kids in a Zoom call. You see these windows and you can't touch them and hug them and let them know it's going to be okay because of the pandemic. And they were crying and I'm turning my chair. I'm crying. Miss Tina's crying. Everybody's crying. Mm-hmm. And um, the Asian one of the little girls just like, are they going to kill me because I'm, I'm black? You know, is, you, am, is, am I going to be on the news and get shot down because I'm black? Wow. And I just remember leaving that um, meeting like what I'm not doing enough I'm not doing enough I need to show them that they're special you know and um skin deep came up where when I tried to wash my skin color off and so that's my new animated short that we're going up on Oscar for and then my little black book where I'm educating the kids on different things like you know the Selma March but also all these amazing inventors right you know without them the world would literally be dark right you know Mm -hmm. because we were responsible for the light bulb as well right so Mm -hmm. so my little black book so it's a series of book and the whole brand is called I crown me because we don't need to wait for anybody to tell us we're special you crown yourself and you tell yourself you're special because in the books the kids don't get any special powers the power comes from self-love and self-worth and at the same time, I knew I had to own it. So I own all my books, self-published them. So I own them right out. So money, money-making conversations, right? <laughs> you got to yes, know sir. about yes, ownership because we don't get top half of the stuff that other people already know right. from, from birth. You right. know what I mean? I didn't even know what an investment account was until a couple of days ago. Right. I'm still learning. Absolutely. But we just have to open our minds to different things like now, that. Now, how can we get this book? Is it, is it on your website? Or how would you oh, I, Yeah, here we go. Money-making conversations, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So you go to iCrownMe.com, mm-hmm. which is my website. Right. At first, I wanted to be on Amazon all these other stuff. Mm. But Amazon takes 50 to 70% of your money they if do. you sell on there. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, no. Right. So mm-hmm. I sold 100 and something books there. And I remember getting a check for less than $200. Right, and I was, right, right, this right. is my work. Why am I giving you 70% of my right. work and all y'all doing is put on a website? Right. So I was like, let me do my own website, make sure it's you know efficient. And so, and plus, I like to sign each book and let the kids know that I see them. Mm-hmm. Physically, it's a lot of work, but um, I did it that way so I can own my own stuff. And now with these conversations coming up this week with DreamWorks and all these amazing people who want to buy into my books or create the series out of it, I, it's just me. I don't have to worry about a room full of people who own part of my work. It's just me. I own everything all the way down to the eyebrows. <laughs> I love it, man. I, you know, like the, the beauty of this interview, man, is just talking about a, a, a self-built person, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Motivated by and not denied by who you are, because we all get those, those, those people who, those uh, people who try to, I call them step in to your dream and, and, and make it an ugly experience. And you're saying right now, 
your, your size wasn't going to stop you, where you was born wasn't going to stop you, your color of your skin wasn't going to stop you. Then you flip the switch and you're there for people who don't look like you. Yeah, we have to. We have to give it back. And we can't fight this, this cra- these crazy times with hate. We can't fight the quote unquote racist with mm-hmm. hate. We have to fight them with love and education. Mm-hmm. So you can't fault somebody for being ignorant to a subject. You know what I mean? We can mm-hmm. educate them on that subject. And after you do what you, after I give you that information, you do what you want with it. But I've done my part in this moment. So we just have to lead with love. And I really, really believe in that. And everything that you're going through, mm-hmm. know that it's happening for a reason. So the single mom, being on welfare, food stamps, all that stuff built character for me now. So I know that all of that happened for a reason. So you have to walk and cry. You don't get to sit and cry. You got to walk and cry. CBS, be positive. That, that's the perfect name for who you are, brother. You are a positive <laughs> brother, man. <laughs> uh, but you, I just said you. it and just uh, looked at you, smiled, and went, Kid, it could be on a better show that's associated with your brand, man, because you're a Isn't positive brother. Amazing? It's been, and Chuck Lorre, of all people, and Mark Finney, what? It, uh, what? Chuck <laughs> yes, Lorre? Yes, they yes. were like, yeah, you know, he did this, 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 oh, this. I was now. like, come yeah, on, but what? He can actually so stop right straight to the top. So he's, it's amazing. He's rich, man. And so, again, I want to I'm gonna put the link into my newsletter because I'm going I'm to send you some direct money-making conversation. People. Let's get it. I'm going to drop it in there. But more importantly, man, uh, I'm looking forward to the commercials. So tell your team to get back to new Motar commercials so I can get it on my social media and just start helping you promote your brand. Because as they say, you be positive, brother, because you stay positive because you are positive. OK, and thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for keeping this is the best interview I've ever had. You did a, a drum major move. You <laughs> So I'm good. This this is made my day. Let's go. Hey, 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 T, hey, T, hey, T, hey, T, hey, 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 come on now. Hey, hey, man, hey, T, hey, man, who, what black dude who, who out there think he got it going on, didn't want to be you. Didn't want to be you, brother. Come on now. I was like, hold on, did you just do a move? You was killing it. Hey, I'll tell you something, brother. I love you, boy, man, again, brother. Thank you for changing your set. <laughs> right. You came with the fire. I was like, hold up now. You ain't about to get me. Let me go switch. I'll be right back. <laughs> but again, man, I love you, brother. And uh, know that I'm on, your, I'm on your list. And get that stuff I asked of you. And Because uh, I want to sell some of your books. And more importantly, I want to just keep pumping you up. Because, brother, you fire. Hey, you fire. Thank you. And thank you for all your love and your energy, man. There's nobody like you. We need more you. Right? My next guest... Uh, two dynamic people, uh, uh, Patrice Covington and uh, Rebecca Naomi Jones. They are acclaimed actresses and singers, co-starring in the cast of Genius, Aretha, as Irma and Carolyn Franklin. My oldest sister's name is Carolyn, so I love Carolyn. Patrice Covington is an Emmy Award winning actress, singer, teacher, author, and model. Mm. Rebecca <laughs> Naomi Jones is, <laughs> is currently featured in those Nissan Rogue 2021 national campaign. You seen that? <laughs> Tearing up stuff. She has also performed in solo concerts at Lincoln Center American Songbook and Apollo Cafe. They're dynamic in this series, Genius. I, I saw it and it's uh, compelling. And I've lived that lifestyle from a musical set. And let's tell you about a little background what the Genius series is all about. It's an Emmy Award winning anthology series where they dramatize the fascinating stories behind brilliant innovators. In this case, it was Aretha Franklin. And uh, these two young ladies, I won't say they're young because they're younger than me. And I hope they're not offended by the term young ladies as they're being cast in the role of playing 
Aretha's sisters, which can be very frustrating in life. You know, it's like being the sister, to, uh, brother to uh, Tiger Woods or LeBron James and still participating in that sport. So because both of them are talented singers. And in a sense, it was to me, as I introduced them, it was, there were many layers of stories that I could love to go back and just hear their story. I can go back and just hear a story about CL, Aretha's father. But this story is about Aretha and her genius. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Patrice Covington and Rebecca Naomi Jones. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, you know, I, first of all, um, this is the first time we talked, but I, but when you see seven episodes, uh, uh, in the series is eight episodes, you tend to see, and, 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 and first of all, be engaged by the talent, the singing talent. Let's, let's start there because that's a gift God gave you. And in this series, you know, I'm trying to figure out, are they singing? Are they lip singing? Or were they really singing? When you stand, I felt when you were in, in that scene where y'all were standing next to the piano and you were playing it and you were singing, I felt that you guys were actually singing that moment. And was I right or wrong? You're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> You're singing. So, so in, in, in a series where this is so driven by singing, how did these audition opportunities come up to you guys? You can answer separately because it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, you have to say when you start building your resume, this is a resume builder. This is a resume you put up and go, okay, wow, I was part of that because it is an amazing anthology series and it plays out over a series of time. You have to age a little bit. You have to be a little younger than what you really are. So uh, starting with you, Rebecca, talk about the whole process of coming on board. Sure. Um, I remember that uh, the audition came uh, to my table uh, at, at a time when I had a whole lot of other auditions showing up as mm -hmm. well. It was mm -hmm. must have been pilot season because it was a really busy time. Mm -hmm. And this was the only one that I had this particular week that was a taped audition instead of a live in-person audition with casting. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, I felt really swamped and my boyfriend said, maybe you shouldn't do this one because it says Carolyn is tall. Um, <laughs> but, you know, something told me that I should make the tape happen because mm -hmm. I saw that Susan Laurie Parks was attached to it mm -hmm. and she... Uh, I've known for many years in theater mm -hmm. and because I knew that the role required somebody who could sing. Um, and so I thought there are a couple of things that are not my height that could potentially give me a leg up into this work. And, um, you know, I actually said this to someone earlier today. What I loved was that I didn't know anything about Carolyn Franklin or Irma Franklin before uh, getting to work on this material. And mm -hmm. um, I loved the audition scene because it, um, it was a long scene that took place um, during Aretha Franklin's 50th birthday. And it's between the two sisters. And just this scene between the two of them gives you so much information about these sisters, but also their relationship with Aretha and their relationship with their father and their family as a whole. And you get a sense in this um, material of how much they love each other and love their sister, but also um, that there is a lot of resentment and bitterness yes. and yes. complexity that yes. is present in all relationships and all families. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a really fun audition to do, and I got to uh, do a acapella version of Rock Steady, which is one of my favorite Aretha Rock! songs. Don't and, even mess um, it up. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was a great time. And then I got to do my screen test in person and it was a lot of fun. And 
you know, I was, I was hoping I got the job, but of course I felt like um, the audition experience itself was actually so satisfying that if I didn't, I did my best and I would let it go. Mm-hmm. But I, I left out. And here Good. Patrice, now, you know, let's not be casual about this. When you say singing now, see, you had to sing. Just sing, sing. As they say in the in the black household, you can sing, girl. Sing. Because at point, you know, like I said, this movie wasn't based on lip syncing. You know, you had to deliver. And then also you had to deliver a level as to why these ladies could be somewhat jealous of not getting the same opportunities that Aretha was getting. Okay. You know, y'all are equally attractive, you know, but, but she had a certain extra in her. So talk about your audition process and bringing that character of Irma to the, to the stage. Yeah, sure. So, um, I also loved that audition scene, <laughs> Rebecca, it was such a good one. Um, and it really pulled me and in, pulled in my interest well, I, I was also interested in all jobs at the time. There was no <laughs> jobs that I wasn't interested in, but I was particularly interested in this one because at the time I was actually um, on tour singing background for Christina Aguilera. Okay. We were in Vegas and I was in a Las Vegas hotel room. It was a very hectic time, much like Rebecca. Um, mine was just that we rehearsed so much mm-hmm. um, and we were traveling so much. I had no time, like zero time at all to get this done. I had no idea. And I'm also on the road with band guys how am I going to get this done you know like they don't know how to do a self-taped audition you know (laughs) so thankfully one of my background singing partners he has a wife who is an actress and she had trained him up to know how to do a (laughs) self-tape so I was like please help me and he helped me we did it it's probably the quickest audition I've ever done because I just simply didn't have the time to analyze and critique like why did I do that and I wish I wouldn't have looked that way and oh my god my hair looks dumb or whatever I didn't have time to do those things because I was so busy Mm -hmm. and so with all that being said it was the most evident and most clear time that I've ever had something be what's for me is just for me it would never have passed me by because I didn't have to, you know, analyze and do the most with this tape. So, um, you know, I am forever grateful. This is my very first time on TV, period. I have an <laughs> acting role. I've done other things uh, like, you know, promos for Broadway shows and such. But uh, this is my first time on camera and I'm forever grateful for this moment in time. Oh, you stepped out there, girl, now. That beautiful <laughs> smile. You stepped out there. Now, in, in, in this series now... Carolyn, your character really wanted to be Aretha, I like to believe. You you really challenged the norm because the dad, who is CL, who was known as the Million Dollar Voice uh, in Detroit, w- saw her as the as the prodigy. He saw her as the one and, and the, the, the legacy builder. Now, in, in building out these characters, because you have to kind of have a sense of background information and where you're going to take the character, not overstep what the character is to deliver, which you wanted to compete naturally. Talk about that process and making it real. Well, I think, um, you know, as an actress of a certain level who has, um, you know, done a lot of exciting roles on Broadway um, and done some versions of some, some levels of roles on TV and film, um, but is still in the process of, you know, building a career. Right. I think a lot of what both Patrice and I um, were tasked to portray is something that comes naturally for us because 
it is such a journey when you believe you have something inside of you to offer. And in some ways that dream is, um, you know, that dream is happening for you. It's, it's coming true. And in some ways you're still sort of building it and, um, and, and manifesting it and dreaming it. And, um, and I think that these characters really have that. I don't think they necessarily wanted to be Aretha, but I think they wanted I think they wanted to be Irma. They wanted to be Carolyn and they wanted to have all of the opportunity that Aretha had. And I think, um, I think that uh, desire and that deep yearning, um, you know, for your potential to be realized and for your um, star power to be realized is something that we can sort of easily, you know, dig into and chew, chew on. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think it's also very natural right. um, for me uh, to want to dig into this role. Because my father was also a musician who passed away before realizing all of his dreams. And mm-hmm. so it's, it, was, it was something that um, just felt right. Now, I when I, your question. now when, I, when I listen to this, Patrice, it's like, this is, we're talking about the series, it's an anthology series, eight episodes, you know, they, from 45 minutes, I think the longest episode may be 50-something minutes. But never never did I feel taxed in watching this series. Why would you think someone would want to watch an anthology series on the Reach of Franklin? There's so much to uncover about this woman. Her music is truly embedded in the fabric of our lives. And we know that we love her music. We know she was the queen and that there's no one better. Mm-hmm. But her story is so complex. It's so multifaceted. It's so beautiful. It's so sad. At times, it's full of overcoming and conquering. It's full of sisterhood, all things that we all need encouragement with all the time. Um, what we get to unfold a lot of is about her, how active her activism was. Right, right now, everybody's trying to figure out how to be an activist in their own right and whatever it is that they can do. And so it's encouraging in your real life right now is so much to learn and so much to apply to your life. You know, it's really amazing because I want to get into some of the cast members because they were a series like this great has to be carried by talent. You are two very talented individuals that stood out in the series. Then you go to my man, Courtney B. Vance, who played CL. Whoa. OK, that's a that's a whole they could have did an eight episode doc on on his behind because he <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. Just watch the series to see the dad. Just, just watch the series for the dad because the dad gonna mess you up. C.L. Franklin is gonna mess you up as a preacher. He breaks all the preacher rules. He breaks all of the preacher rules. If there's some rules for preachers and you're a PK, he gonna, he gonna make you wanna just be a drug addict. He gonna make you wanna just go into detox for life. This man, C.L. is, I ain't never met a preacher like him in my life. He was part uh, uh, womanizer. He was a part. Uh, I say he was all part womanizer. He was a, a somewhat of a drunk. He uh he he spent the the the, the parishioners' money at will. He was uh he was special. Now that's that's Courtney V. Van. Am, am I wrong, ladies? Did I did I? You are correct. Okay, Not cool. wrong. If, if I deviate, y'all feel free to, to say, Rashawn. Now you lying. You stretching the truth. Okay. <laughs> now. Wexler, you know, Wexler was there, you know, the always a white man. That was his character. I tell telling black folks what to do, 
pushing they, you know, I don't think that's a good move. You might alien always thinking about their pocketbook, but not worrying about the cause. That was my man <laughs> playing the Wexler character. Yeah, David, was, Cross. David Cross. David Cross. Yeah. He was he was incredible. Uh, uh, his talents. He was he's an original talent. It was really interesting when I saw the because uh, I saw the Aretha uh, special. When she uh, the documentary, I saw that it was just so amazing. And I, I'm going to ask you guys. You got either one. You can answer this. When you, you know, I, I I've seen history. I've lived the history of Aretha Franklin through, you know, Jet Magazine, Ebony, songs. When you guys were going through the process and and certain information was being revealed to you, how did you react to it? Um, well, I think that you know. Some things we still don't really know the right. answers to, you know, there's a lot that is still just left to the viewer. Uh, you know, there are some things that we'll just never know. Yes. Um, and I mean, I've heard rumors of, of certain things all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, not all my life, but my adult life, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and at that point, it was quite shocking to me to learn that Aretha had a baby at 12 years old. Um, those types of stories are always going to be shocking to someone who's like the queen of soul. Like, you know, I grew up with her music. I knew it was gospel music. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know her foundation was was, was church. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely shocking. I think that there's so much more to her life though. Right. And, and what's more important is how she overcame and continued to overcome until she got out of here, like always overcoming. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important part. You know, I, I had the fortunate, like, cause uh, Steve Harvey and I managed him for 60 years. So I had, a, I had a, the blessing of meeting Rita several times. And she really did cook fried chicken, by the way. I knew that for a fact. Cause the woman could cook. Okay. And also <laughs> she loved popcorn too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, but when you when you look at a movie like Cynthia Erivo, who starred in the lead role, and you see, I saw, I fell in love with her in Harriet. I saw that movie Harriet, where she starred as Harriet Tubman, and I got an opportunity to see how she effortlessly um, played this role. You know, you know, when you see a, a talent like that, and you know, because we all compare ourselves and say, "Wow, well, how does that work? Uh, how did? How, give me some feedback on watching a talent like that." Because we all have aspirations to be that lead. And then seeing her go through the process of aging, going through, she was uh, she was physically abused. She was, uh, you know, she was, she was uh, you know, it, it was uh, her relationship with Dr. Martin Luther King. She had that in that process, being a spiritual leader, being a physical leader, being a, being a, uh, you know, dealing with the, 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 what happened to her mom in real life. She had to, she had to, see that emotion through the process as well as her overall I, I you know disconnect with her dad it was a disconnect you know then her grandmother played by the incredible Pauletta Washington I can't forget not giving her compliments because she was awesome and I've known her for many years so give me give me some feedback and you you know on, on your take on it as well you know one thing that I loved watching Cynthia was that I think she really was able to dig into um, sort of the quiet self-protection that Aretha had. Yes. I think, um, you know, we were also lucky to receive um, Aretha's, you know, Aretha's sort of entire soul through her voice, her singing mm-hmm. voice and her music in general and her genius. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, 
as we all know, she's, she was a very private person by design. Right. And, um, and I think Cynthia really um, locked into that aspect of her. I think she was really smart about how she was um, on set and how she dug into this character because she was very quiet about it. She didn't, she didn't overly um, talk too much about it. I think she kept a lot of her work um, internal and um, and then we got to see it sort of slowly unravel out of her the way Aretha was in terms of her allowing people to slowly, um, you know, be let in to who she was. And so the same thing happens with Cynthia where suddenly she's singing and she, this voice opens up and we're getting a real sense of who she is. Right. Now, you know, and I can't forget T.I. Tip, tip was, I'm going to tell you something. That boy right there can act. I, 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 he does comedy well. He, I know he can rap, but he was, he was, uh, you know, I'm just saying, he was sexy. Tip was, <laughs> he was sexy. I, I'm coming out looking at that little mustache, that little afro. I'm like, he right? was working it. He was working it with that little deep voice. Ti was, well, Ti was on point in this, in this series. I was yes. telling you, it yeah. is so He's funny many. too. And then Very Luke, funny. And my boy Luke James. He dipped in there and then, and then like, I ain't gonna tell y'all no character. I'm just gonna let y'all know T.I. is in the bad boy. He clowns. Luke James coming in there, super sexy. No, chocolate drop, chocolate drop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, that is true. And, 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 that is true. We just, had a very fun day on set oh with him. Oh my God. You know, and you guys, your characters, you know, they, 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 let's talk about that. The, 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 stepping back and wearing those, uh, those time you know, compliant clothes, you know, the, the bathing suit that you was wearing there, you know, at the pool side with Aretha and your character, you know, and you, you up there, that nice little outfit, singing them songs, you know, I'm looking at Carol and Earl, I said, they fine, girl. They, they, I'm, you know, I'm going back, because I was, I was active in those years, I'm going like, oh, they can work, they can work, they can. <laughs> so, so how much fun did you guys have going into the wardrobe room? That was most fun. The most fun. Jennifer Bryant, our costume designer, I just, you know, every time I went into a fitting, it was my whole thing was a going joke because I would say, okay, no, this is my favorite. Every time it was my favorite outfit. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I loved her designs. I felt comfortable. I felt cute. I felt sexy. I loved how we grew, you know, our fashions grew with us, um, but still was a appropriate, you know, and making us feel fly all throughout the years, you know, we weren't, we weren't poor people. So oh, we no. had good oh, clothes, no. Oh, no. Oh, very no. fancy, no. very sexy. We loved mm-hmm. it. We it, loved it. Oh yeah. We well, you know it, it, that's why I just, you know, when I, when they do time pieces, right. You know, that they, they spent the money on this time piece, you know, the, the, the hair, the afros look like they were right. You didn't see no little pieces falling off. I said, okay, yeah. <laughs> they, they working there. They got the budget for the hair up in this show here. The clothes fit. I mean, I get mad, child, when I see time period, <laughs> black people time period pieces. And you can see the little hair on the edge kind of popping off the sides. It's supposed to be a sideburn, right? They uh-huh. did the money right. They did the, the scene discovery right. Talk about being involved with a production that said, you know, some we're going to spend the money. And you can lead Patrice or Rebecca, either one you can take lead on this question because it's, it's and both of you can respond after the other one responds as well. It's really great to be treated special and allowed to tell your story with a budget that allows you to tell the story, correct? 
You're absolutely right. I think it makes such a difference in how you feel like you can do your job because mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that other people mm-hmm. are being given the access to do their job right. And mm-hmm. so it just makes what you have to do that much easier. It made mm-hmm. what we had to do so much easier because Jennifer Bryant had our backs with these beautiful costumes that fit us perfectly. And Miss <laughs> Louisa was making these wigs that were so stunning, but also really fit our natural hair textures and mm-hmm. our face shapes. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had Marietta in the, in the makeup department and her entire team just, you know, making our faces look beautiful, but also like we made our faces look that right. way, not mm-hmm. like a makeup team made our face look that way. I mean, everything was taken care of mm-hmm. so we could take care of these characters. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. And it also, you know, every all of these people who led these departments were black women. And Come on now. Come on now. Say it one more time. All of the department heads were black women. They were 100% black women and they led, they led their teams with just the most esteem. They were so distinguished and they were very clear. Um, they made us, I just keep using the word comfortable because I never, I never worried about my hair. I never worried about my makeup. Um, I definitely never worried about clothes. Like we were comfortable all the time. And if there, if there ever were a concern, mm-hmm. uh, a question, I would just be like, Hey, um, my pants are too tight. Right. <laughs> it would give me a, a bigger size pants. Like it was, right, right, it was right, never right. anything. It was right, just right, always. Right. Girl, work with, make it work. Make always. it work. You ain't in that scene long. Going out with them tight pants. None of that. Out <laughs> <laughs> there all uncomfortable. <laughs> I'll show what you let me change these pants. They show it's tight riding up on me. <laughs> but that's, but you know, the, the beauty of watching, we're talking, I'm talking to Patrice Covington and Rebecca Naomi Jones in regards to the anthology series uh, called Genius. It premieres at National Geo um, this uh, Sunday, March 21st. Uh, not only am I recommending this, and I'm just so fortunate to be able to talk to two talented people because when I get to see something like that, and I, and I, and it, it takes me to an, a level of imagination because you guys are gifted. You have gifts. And those gifts that you allowed me to share were like seeing, you know, like, a, like, a, like I knew when you were really singing, I going, wow, you know, that, that's a blessing. And so I, I have to believe that you guys understand your blessing and you feel very fortunate to be able to share them in an entertainment form. Like I know this is your first television series and applause. And, but again, it's going to be more. It's going to be movies. And I know, you you know, you're out there doing your thing, you know, Miss Thane, you know, but, but how, how's life? What is the future for each one of you? You want to go first, Becca? Uh, the future is fabulous. She's going to go there. She's going to go there with the fabulous. The fabulous. The fabulous. <laughs> the fabulous. <laughs> Honey, the future is fabulous. Come on now. Come on. <laughs> I can assure you that. Um... Yeah, there are there are little little projects coming coming um, right. mm-hmm. forth uh, here and there that I'm not sure if I'm allowed to speak about yet. But, I, believe um, me, but, you I, know I'm, I'm mm. still waiting for that next big thing. But I'll, I'll let you know. And, and guess what? And feel free to come on my show. Uh, I like to believe that I developed the relationship with you two that, that allows that I, I trust the opportunities. And I know I've been in the entertainment business. You know, started writing on TV shows in '92. I know how this thing works. Sometimes all the audition come on the same day and then they go months and there's no audition. And you be going, be going, God, what's going on? 
I've been broke for six months. Now the day I ain't broke, I got five auditions and didn't get none of them. So where, where, where are we going with this? And that's the really, Patrice, you can expound just on the, just life and just tell people who try to make this business work for themselves. What enthusiasm, what points of uh, support can you give them or advice when you hit those low points? Because the highs are incredible and it's worth it. But when you hit those low points, you got to dig out of them and realize that's part of the process. Yeah. Well, in this business, we have way more no's than yeses. I mean, we audition sometimes. It, you can audition four, five, seven times a week yes. and get nothing. Yes. When I booked this job, it was the only job I booked that year outside of, you know, background singing and doing other things, mm-hmm. you know. But I think what's important is creating and not waiting. Mm-hmm. That's one. Mm-hmm. Speaking things as if they already are. Mm-hmm. And then just always being generous with light. So mm-hmm. I have this um, this saying, this model that is trademarked. So don't try to steal it, Russian McDonald. <laughs> it's don't be a star, be a galaxy. Okay? Oh, I heard that. It was in your bio. <laughs> Stop putting it in your bio now. I saw that now. <laughs> okay, yes. So what that means, it means so many things. When I first created it, it was about, you know, just being, being sparkly and, mm-hmm. you know, being a star. But as as the years have gone on, it has gone on to mean just sharing like, you know, if Rebecca and I see an audition that we think is right for the other, I'm going to tell Rebecca, I know that what's mine is mine. Mm-hmm. It will never pass me by. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to shine light on her talent because I think she's an amazing talent. No star shines bright without the next star next to it shining. There's so much more. There's enough for everybody. So mm-hmm. I just think when what you give out is what you give in what you are, what you will receive. So um, just keep being nice. Believe that karma is a real thing mm-hmm. and create. Don't wait. I, okay. That Patrice, uh, Reverend Patrice has spoken. Amen. Uh, Reach to your pockets and give me all your offering. Hey, hey, if, 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 you know, CL <laughs> will be asking for it. Reverend CL Franklin will be asking for a play by Courtney B. Vance. And I'd be, re- be remiss not to talk about the very talented young actress who played the role of the young Aretha Franklin, who carries her, because, you know, this this is an anthology, so they do a lot of flashbacks. So just because you see a character in the first episode, you're going to see them throughout the whole episode because you're doing, because it allows you to see what makes Aretha at this point of her life. What happened in her life at that age that made her either hard, made her soft, more emotional, maybe made her not trust anybody, because that was a big thing about trust in her life. You know, it came up with Ted, and it came up with her father, C.L. So in closing, Rebecca, you know, you know, I, you know, uh, Deacon, Deacon, Deacon Patrice and spoke now. Uh, uh, Deaconess, thank you very much. There you go. You know, she's passed the plate, but ain't nobody put no money in it yet. Okay, Rebecca? <laughs> they looking at the plate. They're going, should we bring us on home? <laughs> this is Aretha, the Genius Series. It is going to premiere on uh, National Geo, March 21st, starring Patrice Covington, Rebecca Naomi Jones. Bring me on home, girl. Uh, I'm at the altar. I just want to join the church. Come on. <laughs> oh, you're amazing! Well, I, I, you know, my whole thing—you guys are amazing. Of the heck with all these compliments. I, I, I watched all seven episodes on Sunday. Okay, I'm just telling you, I I, I started at one o'clock in the middle of March Madness, and I didn't stop. I forgot watching basketball. Because you know, you watch one episode, you know, you know, Netflix got you all wired up, you know, into binge watching, and I go. 
Okay, and I'm going, okay, okay, episode two, episode three. Okay, I look at the minute of 45 minutes. I got 45 minutes. I did not finish till 9.30 last night. And I was <laughs> mad because they only sent me seven episodes. And it's an wow. eight-episode series. I got to wait till the end. And it's going to be worth it. I'm passing the passing the information line about how great this series is. More importantly, I got to introduce America and my fan base to you two fantastic actresses and singers. And the, the, the blessings yeah. are going to continue. And know I'm a fan. And when I say I'm a fan, your boy, I got six sisters, okay? I got six sisters. My oldest sister's name is Carolyn. So you know there's some love in this conversation and what y'all brought to the series, Aretha, the genius series and the anthology series about Aretha Franklin. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> we will be right back with more Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversation. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men who are making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. From civic leaders, businessmen, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads, the Cafe Mocha Swag Award winner this week is Prince Donnell. He is one of the visionaries behind Jumping Jack Taxes. He wants to make entrepreneurship possible, creating generational wealth by serving the communities we come from and providing access to financial literacy. Prince Darnell's goal is to take a piece of this billion dollar tax industry and push the profits back into our community. It's not about taxes. It's not about what industry that you go into, but it's about all of us pulling our dollars together to achieve a common goal. Now I'm going to be able to go to each and every one of them because they understand group economics and sharing and say, hey, there's this, there's this block that has all of these abandoned buildings. How about all of our partners? Let's all of us put our money together and let's all buy that block together and we all have a piece of that ownership. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My guests are Dr. Willie Jolly and D. Taylor Jolly. They are the authors of the Make Love, Make Money, Make It Last book, 10 Secrets to the Shape of Great Marriage. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, the world-renowned Hall of Fame speaker and best-selling author, Dr. Willie Jolly, and the COO of Willie Jolly Worldwide, D. Taylor Jolly. How y'all doing? <laughs> oh, man, we are blessed and grateful and glad to have you as my friend for all yes. these years. And we are honored to be able to be on with you and honored to be able to share some ideas with your audience that hopefully will empower, inspire, and bless their relationships and their marriages. Well, first of all, I got, I got to go to D first, you know, because I read the book, you know, because I knew D had swag, when she had a 280Z, dots and dots and 280Z. I said, okay, okay now, okay now. Because that was the car to have, Willie. Uh, dots and 280Z, you had to have a little money in your bank. You had to have a little flair. Boy, girl, you, hey, hey, Willie, you couldn't tell her nothing when she had that dots and 280Z, could you? <laughs> you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and you drove it into the ground. <laughs> And <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that's true love. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You got a fancy sports car, and, I, and when I got married to her, uh, I started driving it, and uh, uh, I just drove it into the ground. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. Well, you she were looking had swag good. And class and style. And oh man, Dotson two eighty Z. What color was it, D? What color was it? It was persimmon. Woo! 
A special, a special honor, a special <laughs> honor. <laughs> you know, I, 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 the, I took a lot of fun. That's why I wanted to start off with the, with and talking about some of the things that I felt were engaging about your book or personal about the book. Because when you write a book like that, it has to be honest. And yes. and, and and sometimes telling your story, it takes moments because you know as you keep writing a book, you start oh let me let me add this or you start remembering a part of a story that you actually forgot that becomes an yes. important part of the book. And and sitting down as a couple, because I love what it says, what Willie says, what Dee says. So each one of you as a couple saw things differently, but worked as a unit to succeed. Correct. Yes. Absolutely. You Absolutely. You're right. And which was one of the challenges, you know, I've written a number of books, right. uh, many of them uh, global bestsellers. It only takes a minute, change your life. A mm-hmm. setback is a setup for a comeback, turn mm-hmm. setbacks into greenbacks and mm-hmm. attitude of excellence, chicken soup for the Christian soul. But mm-hmm. writing one with my wife was really difficult mm-hmm. because she typically has been my editor mm-hmm. of all my books. Mm-hmm. And so when we went to write this one, it was challenging because mm-hmm. I have my own voice. Right. And I had to remember <laughs> that I had my own voice right. and that I was not simply editing mm-hmm. what he said. That's right. 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 So we, we, we struggled for a little while till we figured out our speed and how this was going to work. And then we would look at the 10 principles that we had uh, developed over these 36 years. Well, at that point, it was about 30, uh, 32 years, 33 years when we mm-hmm. wrote the book mm-hmm. also. And uh, then once we got the principles lined up, we said, OK, I will write my part or my take on it. She'll right. write her take. And that's when it really found magic. Now, right. one other thing, when we wrote the book, we've been married for 36 years, right. haven't had an argument in over 33 years. Mm-hmm. Now, those first couple of years were like World War Three. Right. Absolutely. We learned some principles mm-hmm. that helped us stop arguing and get to, to, to loving each other. Right. And I thought we were stuck. She's staring at you. Wrote- She's staring at you, Willie. She's staring at you while you're talking. Now, I don't know if all that's working in the direction. You know, the book is Willie says and D says. I think that was a D says stare she was giving. No, you. Girl, she, she wanted to say about the fact how we got the principle, but we have to then embrace it. Go ahead, baby. I'm a former school teacher, too. Absolutely. So the, the nonverbal communication, but. Embracing versus actually implementing are two different things. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So we had mentors, we had information, but we had to decide yes. that we wanted to do this and that we wanted to work through it together. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would say that the most difficult part of the development of our relationship is actually how we communicate. Right. Because Willie speaks for a living mm-hmm. and he writes books and the like. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it can be overpowering until you pull back and say, oh, let's wait a minute now. Here's what I have to say. Mm-hmm. And this is how I need you to communicate right. with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that came to a head over the Chinese food. Yeah. Right, right. The biggest the biggest <laughs> challenge to our marriage came one night in a Chinese restaurant right. where we carry almost, out carry out where we almost broke up. Right. And it's one of the biggest points in our marriage. Here. We talk about the three boulders that break up marriage, sex, money and communication. Absolutely. And communication is the thread that weave through all of those. Right. And we almost came to to uh, end of our marriage over Chinese food. And right. what basically happened was mm-hmm. her family was coming. 
mm-hmm. to visit. Uh, I home. wanted to impress my brother. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I had moved to D.C. I'm a nice right. little Southern girl from Hampton, Virginia. My father's a was a pastor mm-hmm. and the like. And I wanted to simply impress my brother mm-hmm. and his wife that we were doing okay, that we mm-hmm. were doing well. And mm-hmm. he said, he like, I said, what do y'all want for dinner? He said, uh, how about Chinese? Y'all got good Chinese restaurants and they don't have a lot of Chinese restaurants in the city where she's from. Right. And a mm-hmm. uh, Southern city. Mm-hmm. I said, gotcha. I'm a Chinese food aficionado. I'm right. an expert on right, Chinese right, right, food. Right, right. You know, all the spots. Yeah. Now, she he, said you like sushi. She had to be educated in the sushi with you, okay? That's so I know. Right. You got it. Right, right. Uh, you read it. You got it. <laughs> you read it. Yeah. Oh, I so, also know that you're an introvert as well. So you can keep oh, going. You keep going. going. You keep going. <laughs> so, so we got to the restaurant. I told her, here's what we need. She said, no, we need more. Uh-huh. I said, no, this is all we need. No, we need more. Right, right. And I. He was cheap. I'm right. cheap. Okay, I'm cheap. I'm well known for being extravagantly <laughs> frugal. I'll right. make a dollar holler. Okay. Right, 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 so, right. Uh, I said, here's what we need. And I got loud. Mm-hmm. I got loud. Totally unacceptable behavior for him to get loud with right. me. Right. And so right. it got louder, more intense. Mm-hmm. And finally, it got, I was fever pitch. I was hollering. And she said, I will leave you. <laughs> Married folks, here's a word I want you to learn. <laughs> dial it back. back. Little mm-hmm. phrase. Dial right. it mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. I said, dial it back. Dial the value. And she ordered right. everything right. that I thought we should have. Right. Went home, had the dinner. Mm-hmm. The end of the night after everybody eating. We had leftovers. Uh, how much? A lot. <laughs> a lot. He doesn't like having Chinese leftovers because he says they're not good the next day. If you're an aficionado. But he was right. Right. Mm -hmm. It was too much. And so when they left, we said, let's talk. No, you said, said, we have to have a conversation, which was a very (laughs) wise thing on his part. I said, we need to talk about this. And she said very clearly, I don't like anybody. I'm a daddy's girl. My daddy... Fire brimstone minister. Right. Never raise his voice to me. Right. Always sweet, loving, kind. My brother and I always. And you, never and you, and you with this big time talker. This big time talker over here. He talks to thousands. That's that's Willie. He a big time talker, right? You, right. you know, you're PK. Big time talker, PK. At the that's restaurant, it. he became big time talker. PK going. Miss Introvert stepped up her game. There you go. And Come so on. I said, and she said, I don't like people hollering at me. And I said, got it. There you go. And and now that I've got yours, let me tell you mine. Mm-hmm. I don't like people threatening to leave me. Right. And th- don't threaten me. And so we made a we made an agreement. I said, mm-hmm. I will never holler at you again. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'll never threaten to leave you. And that's been over 33 years. <laughs> we haven't had an argument since. We don't always agree. Right. But we've learned yes. how to have systems that will help us to disagree without being disagreeable. And, and that's, that's a chapter in the book. That's right. a chapter. How to disagree without being disagreeable. There really is, there really is a difference. But also, yeah. Dee, isn't it also being out. disrespectful, too, in that part right there, you know, which I, which I like about the book is that, you know, 
it's all about communication when you said it earlier, Willie, because that yeah. really communication and money, communication and bed, communication with your kids, communication when you work, all that. If you don't communicate, and that was my biggest takeaway from this whole book was that you guys have mastered the art of communication. And that's mm. what you're telling everybody. If you don't communicate, you can be two different people. And I love when you talk about, you know, he liked this type of food. I wasn't a sushi lover. I, I had to be brought onto that side of the table. And then when you got to the whole part about his daughter, Sherry, that's the part <laughs> where I had the most fun in the book because, D, I didn't know you, but it is so vivid. It is so colorful. You driving at five hours to pick up his daughter and you wasn't 100 be sent in the club of going to back get it. Like you said, the, the ex-wife made her bed, as you said, sleep in it. <laughs> you know, blended families it can be very challenging and, and, and marriages where you're blending up families. She had been married before I had a child before I got married and we had to blend all of this and it was very challenging but again, it was the communication. Right. It was the wise counsel of my mom. A mentor. Uh-huh. When I called her and said what Willie was going to do, right. he was going to go pick up Sherry. I'm like, the house is calm. Everybody gets along well. Why are you doing this? And my mother said to me. I'll tell you what she said. She said, this is what your mama said. You want to be married to a man that wants to be responsible to the children that he brought into this world. That's what your mama yeah, told you. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want a man like that? Why wouldn't you respect a man like that? Why you wouldn't love a man like that? That's what your mama said in this book that I read. Yes. <laughs> you read that book. That, that was her mama. And let me tell you something. It was the key because her mother made the difference. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that communication, look, the communication chapter is probably the biggest chapter in the book. And we give that away free to right. everybody. We want to give it to all your listeners, all mm -hmm. the people who are viewing it. Mm -hmm. Go to uh, jollymarriage.com right. jollymarriage.com get the free chapter mm -hmm. from that book mm -hmm. it will bless you and if you choose to get the book we recommend you get two copies okay. one for each of you we've had right. so Absolutely. many couples who were on their way to divorce court mm -hmm. who said we're going to try one more time they got two copies and mm -hmm. at the end of each chapter they mm -hmm. would talk about what they learned and we've had so many called afterwards and one particular called and said uh, we've been married 15 years and we are not only not divorcing but when we got to the end we closed the book and we cried together because mm -hmm. we realized we really didn't know much about each other right. so we want to give that away jollymarriage.com mm -hmm. uh, then we talk about sex money chapter eight it's chapter eight sex. chapter eight <laughs> Chapter eight now. I know about that chapter now. Okay, that can chapter, you... the, the hot chapter. Now, <laughs> I think because it's titled um, Sex, Headaches, and Other Lies, it gets a lot of attention, but sex is not just intercourse. Absolutely. It Absolutely. Is the intimacy which women need more so than the man, mm -hmm. and it takes us along the road to right. ending up with right. sex. The, right. Right. Intercourse. Right. But right. women need the words. Mm -hmm. They need the roses. They right. need the tenderness. Poor right. rose. <laughs> the, they need the sweet talk. <laughs> Look at him. Look at him. You too much, Willie. You too much. <laughs> but you know something? Which let, makes let, me want to be close to him. You know, the thing and about it the, is oftentimes that. Oftentimes we forget that. Right. Mm -hmm. Within. All of the confusion and chaos 
including the pandemic, yes. we forget kind words, right. something tender. It actually draws the woman in and helps develop romance. Right, right. And I tell brothers, look, brothers, if you want some action at night, you need to start working on it in the morning. <laughs> Thank you, you very much. You need to start working Hallelujah. on it in the morning. I take her a smoothie in the morning right. or a cup right. of coffee right. when she's at her desk. I send her a little text from my office to her office. You sure look We're good. We're across the hall from each other. Yeah, I say, you sure look good today. You look little good. things make a big difference. And, and it'll work better for you, gentlemen, if you do it in that process, not just coming at the last minute at night gone. You ready? You ready? Right. Now that don't mm-hmm. work. That don't work in this world. You got to be more thoughtful and caring tender. and tender. Okay, it cool. make a world of difference in your love life. A little kiss? Yeah. I'm going to tell y'all something. Would y'all stop it? I'm trying to interview you, y'all. I, I got this. I read the book. I know y'all love. I know this by communication. There's some people that need y'all each help. There's some people need y'all years. help. Willie, D, stop it. Okay, now. <laughs> now, let's talk about Communication, because I want to go back a little bit to the the, the Sherry situation, because that was important because it was about communication, because it was one person accepting another young lady who was hostile because she didn't know. You know, the mom threw her hands up after she drew up. Because I, I always remember it was a very similar situation with my my older sister. Uh, I, I We moved her daughter in and we set rules. And yeah. then... Six months later, she made the phone call. They treat me like I'm in prison. They yes. uh, they they won't let me go out. They won't. And then, of course, I, hey, the sister came, got her. And I always regret that I didn't put up a bigger fight because I felt that she would have lived a different life if yes. she would have been with us. And then, but you had to change. That's the adjustment in communication. You know, we could joke around about the love, but it's the communication and accepting situations that you may not be comfortable with. And that's really what I took away when I read about the situation with Sherry. D, you were not comfortable. And also, Willie, you were not comfortable because you had to mediate two people you love, but also had to have discipline. And then D, you had to admit you had to accept some of the rulings that he put in place to make this thing work. So there was acceptance, there was a communication, and also accepting the ability to feel uncomfortable for the bigger goal. That was the right. most amazing part of the book for me because I took wow. away so many different levels. Wow. That's, that's great insight. And I, I, I think that you, you have to be willing to accept your own limitations and really who you are. Right. Because if I had not been willing to say, I'm a, I'm doing this because I believe in, in Willie. Right. I married him. I don't agree. We talked about that because he's my best friend. Right. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea, I got to do all I can to, to save my daughter. I had to be on board. Mm-hmm. Which meant I had to do the right thing, mm-hmm. whether I felt it or not. And that, I think, is so major. We get, many of us blended families, we get caught up in the emotions. And so we get carried away to the wrong things. We know the right things to do. We must do the right things. And then gradually the emotions come in and the situation changes. Hopefully. Right. right, right, right. <laughs> and, and we talk about that in this, this chapter called How to 
handle a stalemate. Yes. And it mm-hmm. is a, mm-hmm. a great object lesson mm-hmm. on when you have two people who mm-hmm. have opposite um decisions. And that's something that we decided on mm-hmm. before we got married. Really? Right. Right. We had already talked about that in terms of mm-hmm. this is not really 50-50. It's 51-49. That might right. not be a popular position today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what you can't have a two-headed. You could have a two-headed monster, but then you got a monster. So right. how, how do we work through this? Right. We work through it by deciding early on. I said to her, "Look, you run everything. Mm-hmm. Run the house. Run the business. All I want you to do is to make me think I'm in charge." I mm-hmm. thought that was such a wise statement on the part <laughs> of this young man. All right, and so I said, "Make me. Let me think I'm in charge." And I said, "But what I will ask for." Right. Is veto power right? And mm-hmm. when we are at a at a at a place where we both are a stalemate, a stalemate and all I ask you is give me veto power, and I promise you, I promise you, I will never abuse it. Right. And in thirty six years of marriage, I've used it maybe two or three times. Always related to the children. Always related to the children. Right. Always related to the children. Everything else we we got, and I learned this from my my, my mom and dad, uh, Rashawn. When my dad would be driving down the road, mm-hmm. my mom would be in the passenger seat. And you remember back in the old days, they didn't have uh, windows that had electric, <laughs> and you had that one rear view mirror. You didn't have one on that side. And and we riding down the street. He said, "Can I get over?" And my mom would roll that window down and stick her head out the window, and she say either yes or no. And he would take his action dependent on what she told because they right. were teammates right and they made decisions together so i took that object lesson when we got married said look you're my teammate nine times out of ten when you say we can get over a cat i'm gonna listen to you because you're always in it for our best good but that one time when we have a difference and i know morally if this was a moral decision not an emotional decision with my daughter who was acting up and her mama called and said you gotta come get her and mm-hmm. d said no i don't want to do it this was a critical moral decision. I said, we got to do it. It's the right thing. I know it's hard, but we got to do it. And this is one of those times I got to use veto power. And she mm-hmm. said, okay, once we, you know, here's a big thing, Rashad. Oh, yeah. Big thing. Once mm-hmm. we said yes, right. she was all in. That but, that, but, but that is with anything where once you make the decision, okay, I want to go right, I want to go left, I want A, you want B. Once you come to an agreement, you both have to be all in. So even if it didn't turn out right, I had to make sure that I had done everything in my power Mm -hmm. that I could do to make it a success so that he could never say, well, you know, D, you didn't do. No, this is a joint effort. Right. And, and we rise or fall together. And if it had gone south, it hadn't worked out. It didn't work out. It worked out fine. But if it had gone south, I also knew she would never say to me, I told you so. No. Right. right. But that, that, you know, I already would know Nobody that. Nobody wants to be told I messed up. Right. And you told me before. And now you're going to remind me again. Right. That takes us to the airport story. Right. Oh. Uh, we have so many stories like you missed the flight. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, missed the flight. 
And that was my fault. Yeah. I was, I was, I knew it all. I had it. I'm, a, I'm the, I'm the traveler. Hour. And I said, we'll get there fine enough time. We don't need to leave early. She keeps saying we need to leave. I, no, I got it. We and we get caught in traffic. We missed the flight, and we're standing there. And he's using all of his persuasive powers to get <laughs> on the flight. The doors are closed. They're getting ready to pull back from the gate. Right. Right. I say not a word. She, not a word, right. you say. Not a right. word. And we right. eventually got a, a connecting flight to get us to the place where I had to speak the next morning. But at midnight, we got in. Where we could have been in at 6, 8, at 6 p.m. Uh, one <laughs> I hour. love her. It took five I love Dee. Look, I love Dee. But you know, so but she's not she, a word. She's a Except. reminder, though. She's a reminder, though. You know what I'm saying? Oh, well, she reminded me. She said, I'm not saying anything. I was already big and I was beating myself up. <laughs> but but I, love I learned from that. She had my back, even when I messed up. Okay? I want to I I ask you this question. And I want to say to to spouses right. that mm-hmm. you can have each other's back right. even when you mess up. Right. Because they know they messed up. Yeah, they Absolutely. know. They Absolutely. know they messed up. I want to ask both of so, you this question because, uh, you know, because this is the part and because... My wife will go to church. I'm not a church core. And one uh-huh. of the one of the you know recommendations of the ten points is make God an equal part of your marriage. I'm not saying yes. it was not an equal part. And I want I want help with this, and I want to help the, uh, the the my viewers and my listeners when you talk about God, because you talk about certain points that you prayed, and your decisions were brought through prayer. And yes. I want help us through that whole process when you say something like that. Dr. Now, this is, this is a principle. Now, look, what we talk about in this book are 10 principles. Yes. Now, we wrote our 10 principles, but then after I thought the book was finished, we went and interviewed people who were married 40, 50, 60, mm-hmm. 70 years. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one of the things they all said was make God an equal part of your marriage. Right. Now, they said that the marriage is like a triangle. Mm-hmm. It has three corners. Mm-hmm. This is me. This is D and this is God up the top. Mm-hmm. Now, this is 33%. This is 33%. But that's only what's left is 34%. Mm-hmm. And that's God. Mm-hmm. And so he has the majority ownership of the marriage. Mm-hmm. And so he gives us these principles that work if we will use them. Now, so we practice the concepts that come from the Bible. From the Bible. Mm-hmm. The principles on marriage. Now, right. here's the principle. Principles work. They're bedrock. They mm-hmm. work over and over again. If I throw this rock up, uh, throw this rock up, every because, time it's going to come down, mm-hmm. every time. If mm-hmm. I do it a hundred times, a million times, ten million times, because of a principle called gravity. Mm-hmm. These principles work. Right. They work over time, over time, and over time because they are bedrock principles. Take romance. Romance is Solomon. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. right. The Song of Solomon. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of principles. And the Bible says the bed should not be undefiled. That, that you got a brother got to get hooked up. That's what it means. That's really what it means. Now, understanding the difference between sex and intimacy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Women need intimacy and security. Mm-hmm. Men need sex and respect. Mm-hmm. And they are principles that are, are going to be all the time because even a scientific uh, study showed that men think about sex 17 times a day on average. Right. And sometimes before breakfast. Right, right. <laughs> and so we know that that is the case. So what we say to married couples is understand mm-hmm. that these principles are bedrock. They work. 
Stay in the word. Stay in the word. Mm-hmm. So we trust God through our marriage yes. and we run it through that prism. Mm-hmm. Everything through that 33, prism. 33, right 33 prism. 34. What did God say about this? Raising kids. How mm-hmm. to be sweet to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You might not say how to be those words, how to be sweet to each other. But the tenderness, yes. the the what sucking from the breast and all that romantic stuff mm-hmm. is in the world. <laughs> I like that part of the Bible. I like that part of the Bible. The Lord, I like that part of the Bible. <laughs> I love y'all. Hey, Dean Willie, I want to thank y'all, man. Uh, please, thank you for, first of all, let me just tell you this. I listen to your show all the time on Sirius, you thank know, because my brother. show's on Sirius. And so on Tuesdays, I check it out. That The beauty of who you are, man, is that we've known each other a long time. Yes, I, I've respected your relationship, your growth. The fact that I finally get to meet Dee and read about her principles, let me know why you're a great man, not an average man. You are a great man. And thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. The COO. Oh, thank you, Rashad. Your- you're a good man. I love your show and I love what you're doing. And your studio is awesome. Folks, go to jollymarriage.com, get a free chapter and get some of the resources. Or go to winwithwilly.com mm-hmm. and you get all my websites right there. Win with Willie. God bless you. Love you much. And remember, for sure, as I said at the end of my XM show, your best is yet to come. <laughs> to come. Your best <laughs> is yet to come. <laughs> Willie, D, thank y'all, man. If you want to hear more money interviews or money making conversations, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. Thank you.